and your love to us. We thank you for allowing us to assemble here together in your name. We ask you to bless us through your word, guide and direct us and help us, Lord. We ask that you would charge us up that we could finish this week serving you and bring us back on Sunday to worship your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may take your Bibles if you would and let's go to Genesis chapter 2. And uh, we are still working our way through the doctrine of salvation. We're looking at biblical terms that show us what God has done and what He wants to do, what He has done if you're saved tonight, what He will do if you are not. Amen? And uh, we've dealt with the word atonement, redemption, reconciliation, justification, and forgiveness. And uh, Lord willing, we'll finish up this section tonight. We've got three more words, sanctification, propitiation, and glorification. Each one of these words are, are part of what salvation is. Yet I want to, to just say it one more time. God does not do uh, just one or two of these things. He does everything. All at the same time. And though as we deal with sanctification, we understand that there are two parts to this. Uh, we understand that part of it is our standing in Christ Jesus. It's, it's how we appear in the presence of God. We are sanctified. Yet there is a sanctification. There is a process of sanctification that God wants to effect to work in our hearts and lives and make us more sanctified than we are right now. Um, uh, yet, uh, it was amazing, I was reading a cyclopedia on sanctification, and it says there are certain religions that believe that you can reach entire sanctification here on earth. And... Uh, if there was one verse in the Bible that said you could reach sinless perfection while living here on earth, we'd spend time with it. But since there isn't, uh, we're not going to. Uh, you know, there are so many of man's ideas about all of these things that are written into uh, people's theology. And when we use the term theology, we're, we're talking about doctrine. We're talking about what... The Bible teaches. And so we come here, and the best way to understand a word is to find uh, one, of the, the, one of the cardinal rules to really understanding a word is find the first place that it was used. So go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. And uh, we'll have the first use of the word sanctified or sanctification uh, as it is when it is completed. And it says, And God blessed the seventh day, and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. So, let's just get the context here. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had made. So, uh, oftentimes you'll hear preachers say, God created the heaven and the earth in seven literal days. Well, the truth is it was actually done in six literal days. So, next time somebody uh, is kind of being smart like and says, Do you believe God actually created the earth in seven days? I'm saying, No, I don't. Oh, you agree with him? No, he did it in six. He rested on the seventh day. Amen. Uh, just to pull their chain a little bit, just to arm you up a, uh, with a nice little uh, comeback to uh, irritate those that want to try to make uh, the six days of creation into ages. And, and uh, you know, I don't know where anyone that believes the Bible can go from the evening and the morning to six mornings and nights compassing the better part of four and a half billion years, according to the evolutionist. We, we do not seek to make the Bible agree with so-called science. 
The Bible already agrees with anything that is true. Uh, and so, uh, we don't have to make the Bible agree with things. What we're doing is we're looking for things that agree with the Bible. And, and this applies to our church. Uh, we're not trying to make the Bible agree with our church. Uh, I don't have a set of books in my office that says Baptist Doctrine and Practice. And then I have to go get my Bible and, and make it agree with that set of books. You see, historic Baptist doctrine agrees with this book. That's why I am a Baptist preacher. And just to finish out the thought, I did not, as a sophomore in Bible college, I really began contemplating this. And I said, I'm going to be a preacher. What kind of preacher am I going to be? And what kind of church? And, and I began to study this thing and realized that I did not have the right to start my own church if Jesus already started his. I ought to join something that already is in existence. And so, that's where we are. So, as we look here, it says that God created the heaven and the earth in six days. He rested on the seventh day, and then he sanctified this seventh day. What does that mean? He made it different than the rest. He separated it. From the other six days. He made it special. He made it a day that he blessed. And he said, this is my day. And here's where most people get the idea that the Sabbath is a day of worship. But what did God do on the seventh day? He rested. I don't know about you, but wouldn't it be nice to have one day a week where all you did was rest? Uh, that, that would be nice, wouldn't it? And yet, I, I want to challenge you to read Hebrews 3 and 4. The rest for the believer. Sabbath day is supposed to be every day for the New Testament believer. I rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. I rest my salvation in the fact that it is finished. I rest my direction in the fact that I'm supposed to be doing what He wants me to do. I rest my decisions upon His Word. You know, this book called the Bible, if you'll just pay attention to what it says, will make 90%, if not all, of your life's major decisions will be made for you just by simply paying attention to what's already been written down. God took the seventh day and he sanctified it. He separated it. He set it aside for special religious use. Go to Exodus chapter 29, and let's see if our definition holds true. Remember, as we study things in the Bible, your understanding in one passage should not violate your understanding in another passage. There are places where uh, God, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 29, I'm uh, putting lines together here, Exodus chapter 29 and God had said he wanted the Levites and the sons of Aaron, 29, verse 44. It says, and I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and I will, I'm, I'm sorry, and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest offering. Now, let me ask you a question. Was the Temple, the tabernacle, a special place? Yes, it was. You couldn't, not everybody could go into the tabernacle. If, if we were uh, alive in the days when the tabernacle was set up, uh, I don't believe one of us in this room 
would be able to even approach to the front door because we're all Gentiles. You had to be a Jewish man to approach to the front door of the tabernacle. And what happened was, if you were a Jewish woman and you needed to offer a sacrifice, your husband or your father or your uncle or brother took you there. It, it was, a, um, it was a, a place that was sanctified. You know what? Aaron was sanctified. How many of you remember the story of Uriah the king? He was uh, um, a righteous king, and he walked into the temple to offer incense on the golden altar, which was only reserved for the priest. Anybody remember what happened to him? The leprosy sprang out in his forehead while he was in the temple. God, God uh, unsanctified him. He reversed the sanctification. He separated him for uncleanness and an unholy purpose because he had violated. And we could go on. The reason Moses did not enter the promised land because he refused to sanctify the Lord God, in the sight of the children of Israel, the second time, God told him to speak to the rock. You see, the first time, he told him to strike the rock, the rock at Horeb. The second time, he said, I want you to take uh, uh, 70 elders of Israel and the rod of God, and I want you to speak to the rock. He wanted Moses to paint a picture. The rock was smitten once on the cross. And for, all, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's why he wanted him to speak the second time. Didn't work. Moses got mad. He struck the rock twice. God gave the water. But he also gave Moses a uh, ban on entering the promised land. And uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. It says, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Skip over to chapter 6, verse 11. It says, and such were some of you. Let's go back and find out what some of you were. Verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't that a wonderful message? God wants to sanctify the Christian. He wants to separate you. This is something that Jesus did toward mankind. He separated himself. He left heaven's glory. He came down here and endured all of the things that he had to endure, that he might suffer on the cross, that he would pay the price for our sins. You know, we put a lot of stock, and we should, in friendship, in relationship, in the ability to Walk alongside one another and to have fellowship together as believers. We ought to put some emphasis on that. That is important. But I want to ask you a question. Who did Jesus fellowship with? As he walked through this earth, who was his real friend and understood what was going on? 
tell you this, no, not one. But Jesus was willing to be sanctified. He was sanctified, separated. He was separated from us in the fact that he was one of us as a human being and never sinned. He wants us to be sanctified. And he also wants us to understand that there are some things that need to happen in our life. If you go to Leviticus chapter 8, it goes through the process of the sanctification of the priest. Just because you were born of Aaron's seed, just because you were standing there at the tabernacle, and we're not going to take time to read all Leviticus 8 tonight. In fact, we probably won't even go there for the sake of time. Uh, there, You had to go to the tabernacle. They had to take a bath. They had to put on the garments of the priest. There had to be special sacrifices offered on certain days. Then there was the day of consecration after they had fulfilled seven days living in the tabernacle where the blood and the oil of the sacrifices was placed upon their thumb, their toe, their ear. And then they were sprinkled with the blood and the anointed with the oil. Then they could serve. You see, in... The days when we get to uh, Luke chapter uh, 1 and we have Zacharias the priest, the priest waited in order. There were two orders of priests for every month. So a priest term of service was about two weeks. But in order for him to serve those two weeks, he had to be down there over seven days before his service was to start because it took about eight days to be consecrated as a priest. And so while one group of priests were ministering, the next group of priests were in the temple complex going through the separation or the sanctification process so that they could operate as a priest. There's an illustration there. You do not get your holiness from what you do. Okay? They were born sons of Aaron. But guess what? There are choices that you make that will determine whether God can use you or not. Whether you are sanctified. It is possible to be a priest and not be sanctified, not be separated for the master's use. These are, these are things, this is the other part of sanctification. This is something that we need to work on. Uh, go with me to the book of Ephesians, if you would. And, and I uh, uh, just want to tell you that there are just so, so many verses, even right now, that are crowding in my head that aren't in our outline tonight that we could use. But in verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. This is God's plan for his church. If you want to be sanctified, guess what? You're going to have to take a bath. The priest had to take a bath. Only God doesn't want you to use water, though you ought to use water physically. He wants you to use the water of his word. You wonder why sometimes those passages just seem like a bunch of words on a page. Why Why does God want me to read? Uh, let me tell you something. It's cleaning. It's doing its work. You are making yourself faithful to this book. And it will keep you clean. Amen? And so we need to understand these things. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians. Again, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4. Verse 
Verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you, and testify, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. You know, one of the things that I would want and like and hope that you would work with me for is to make this church a refuge from the world out there. That when we walk through those doors... It's different in here than it is out there. That's why it's sanctification. You see, when you are sanctified, separated from the world, separated unto the service of Christ, and you come in here with that attitude and that heart, guess what? You make it easier for the next person to do the same thing. Are we together on that? God has called us to holiness. We need to encourage one another. Now, we're not talking about walking into someone else's house and going through their magazine rack and saying, Hey, look at all this crud. This is not sanctification. Uh, If the Holy Spirit isn't going to do that, guess what? You aren't going to do it pastor isn't going to do it. You say, but people, they, they just don't get it. No, people don't want to get it. There's a difference. There's a difference. We, we do what we really want to do, do we not? I mean, if you really wanted a cannoli, you'd find a way to get one now, wouldn't you? I mean, it's not hard to do. Now, in Oklahoma City, uh, it may mean that you have to mail order one. Unless you have lots and lots of money to hire somebody to make one the right way. But I I don't know if you could even find that in Oklahoma City. I I doubt it. Um, But what I'm simply saying here is that we, we need to understand that we do what we want to do. It's God's will for us to be sanctified. And that doesn't only mean when we go to church. We we need to be sanctified every day. We need to be sanctified through the week. I want you to turn with me 2 Corinthians chapter 6 for just a moment. One of the great promises uh, uh, in the New Testament to the believer And the whole issue here is sanctification, what we're talking about. And uh, we can uh, go back. uh, Why don't we just start in in verse 12? Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now, what Paul is simply saying there is, I'm not telling you everything that you need to do. You know in your own heart. What you need to do. And uh, verse 13 says, Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children. Be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, because of this truth, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God. 
mighty. To be used of God means we must not be available to the world. Say, Pastor, that's not new. No, it's not. Uh, We know this. But the world affects us. We hear things. I mean, you cannot walk up and down the streets in the city without hearing all kinds of cursing in every language under the sun. Uh, You can't uh, turn on your television set. You can't hardly read a, a, a book or pick up the newspaper, find out what's going on. There's not some kind of vile reference to things. And, and yet the Lord said he's not called us out of the world. I mean, he's not called us to uh, be isolated from the world, but he's called us to be separate from the evil that is in the world. And you know what? That's going to make you different. It's going to make you different. And God says, listen, if you'll come out from among them, if you'll be separate, sanctified, he said, I will be a father unto you. Now, I'll tell you what, there's not a one of us that couldn't use the hand of a loving father on our shoulder from time to time, giving us direction and guidance through life. I'll tell you what, God says, I'm there to do it. But you're going to have to get this thing called sanctification settled or I can't do it. You know, the years ago, uh, Billy Graham came to Queens and was doing a big thing. And, man, we got phone calls. Why won't you be involved with the Billy Graham crusade? And why won't you, uh, uh, you know, help us? And, and don't you care about people getting saved? I said, yeah, I most certainly do care about people getting saved. That's why I have nothing to do with the Billy Graham crusade. Uh, because they invite everybody in there. When the Catholic priest shows up at a Billy Graham crusade, do you think he's going to tell people how to get saved and come over and get baptized in the Baptist church? No. He's going to tell you how to get saved according to Catholic theology and how to be a better Catholic, which leads you away from heaven, not toward it. You see, that's, we don't have agreement. That's, that's why we don't use worldly music in our church. But you don't understand if you just had a good band. I mean, Pastor, you played the saxophone. If you could just get it out and start honking on that thing, people would come. No, they won't. You know why? Because the church across town has got some guy that's been blowing the blues in every bar that he could get money from for the last 30 years. He's going to sound better than I do because I've never played that way. And I have no intention of ever learning how, by God's grace. I want my saxophone to be sanctified. In fact, my Jewish saxophone teacher in high school said, Oh, I got it. You want a sanctified sax? I said, Yeah, that's it. I said, How do I get one? He said, I can't help you with that. But he did give me some good information. He said, Well, he said, You just keep playing and don't listen to anybody else. You know what? He wasn't saved, but he wasn't stupid either. You see, God will give you the ability to do things, but he wants you to listen to him, not everybody else. And that will make you sanctified. It's part of your salvation. You are sanctified in your standing with God. Without sanctification, God can't let you into heaven. Because you're different than all the other sinners out there. You're separated. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ that's been applied to your life. Amen. But, as my dad used to say, you know what? Montoro may not mean a lot to anybody out there, but it means something to me. He said, and you're my son, and you better live like it. You know what? God's saying the same thing. You're my child. You want me to be... A father to you. You want to be my sons and daughters. You want to have that privilege 
that only children have with their father. He said, come out from among them and be ye separate. He said, touch not the unclean thing. He says, I will receive you. You know, there's not a one of us that couldn't do with being a little closer to God. How do we get there? Well, I think James said, purify your hands, ye sinners. Amen. Well, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. But as you draw nigh to God, you're going to have to walk away from the, some things that are in the world. It just You just can't have it all. And why would you? Why would you want to have God in something that blasphemes Him in the other hand? I wouldn't want that, would you? And we've got to ask God to help us. This thing called sanctification, it's got two edges to it. If God does this for us, He sanctifies us. But He also wants us to work. Look at, we're going to look at one more verse, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to have to move quickly here. We're not going to get finished tonight. 1 Peter 3.15. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It is Sanctifying the Lord God in your heart, making Him special, making Him separate, putting Him on the throne of your life, that when people ask you what is different, you're going to be able to say, the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian. And they won't go, really? I would have never thought that about you. I mean, that has happened. What we want to do is sanctify the Lord God that we can give an answer. That when we do give that answer, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm a born-again believer. Oh, now it makes sense why you're so weird. Yes. I remember working at a gas station as a teenager. And, and uh, one of the guys, was they, they were talking about things that just weren't in the Bible and very vile and things. And I said, I've had enough of this. And... And walked out, and one of the other guys says, well, we know he's a preacher, but what about the rest of you guys, you know? And, and listen, this is something that God wants in our lives. The next word, let's move on, is propitiation, found only three times in your Bible. The word propitiation is the turning away of wrath, the payment that is made, but the idea is the payment ends not only in a removal of the wrath, but a renewed, harmonious relationship. The word propitiation is one of those far-reaching words. And let's just go to Romans chapter 3 and verse 25. And a lot of your, the note here, we'll just do it while you're turning there. A lot of your newer versions and People who want to sound educated, they love to use the word expiation. Well, expiation is not propitiation. Uh, different first, um, what do they call that? Uh, the uh, first syllable of the, of the word there uh, means uh, different things. Expiation is the X, the removal of. It's really much more like the word atonement. Propitiation is something done very positive. It is something that is done proactively between God and man. Verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Only God could meet God's demands. That's the whole idea behind propitiation. Jesus was sent to be 
a propitiation, the propitiation for our sins. And he, only he, could renew our relationship. Not only the removal of the penalty, but the removal of the discord, the removal of the guilt, the removal of everything, a restored relationship. That's what propitiation is. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. First John, way in the back. This is the other two times you're in the book of First John. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I just don't know how anyone can come to a conclusion of a limited atonement. And read this verse. God made it made a way that every person could be brought back into fellowship with him. Uh, Let's just read 4.19 here. It says, whoa, wait a minute, I got my reference wrong there. Um, Well, anyway, there's a place there in... Um, chapter 4, I'll, I'll get it for you. Um, but the whole idea of God's... I mean, maybe it's 2.19. No. Um, but God has given His propitiation for us. He paid the price for our sins He is the one that originated. He is the one that keeps us saved. And He is the one that makes us uh, accepted of God in the Beloved. Verse what? 10. 410, there it is. Herein is, yes, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I should have known that. Nine is next to zero on the typewriter. Just one key over. And uh, the the issue that we are talking here is we are talking about God's love. God wants to forgive. You know, there are times when you can receive forgiveness, but there's still hurt and pain and things and scars that are left there. You've gotten forgiveness. The penalty has been removed. But God says, I want to take it a step further. I want the penalty removed but I want the joy restored. I want it to be the way that I intended it to be. And we need to get a hold of this thing, propitiation. It originates with God because God sent Jesus. It's God's love that sent Jesus. But the debt of our sin was owed to God. So God made a way that He could pay himself the penalty for our sins. Do you see what this does? If God made a way that we could pay the penalty for our sins, then the guilt would still be there in our conscience. There'd still be that fact that we did these things, but when God does it all, There's nothing left for us to do but simply believe in His name. Propitiation encompasses everything that we have talked about in salvation to this point. But if we didn't include atonement and redemption and reconciliation and justification and forgiveness and sanctification, there's no way that we could see the breadth and the depth and and everything that is involved in this word propitiation. 
This is what God did in our salvation. God paid himself for our transgressions against him so that we could be rejoined to God just as so, as if our sin had never, ever occurred. That's how much God loves us. That's how deep His salvation is. It's not just sweeping under the carpet. That's why God won't accept the best that you can do. That's why God won't just say, Hey, it's okay, I understand. No, He does understand. That's why all of these terms are in your Bible. And the last one that we're looking at is glorification. You see, in order for God to really completely fulfill this idea of propitiation, guess what has to happen? John chapter 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, what? There he may be also. God wants us together with him. John chapter 17, when he was praying, this is the Lord's prayer. He prayed on the way to Gethsemane. He said, Father, I will that they be with me, that they may behold my glory, which I had with thee before creation. Now, I didn't get every word just right. But the whole idea is Jesus wants us to be with him in glory so that we can see who he really is. But in order for us to do that, He can't take us just the way we are. He's got to change us. Remember what happened in the Old Testament when Moses said, Lord, I want to look at your glory. I beseech you, show me my glory. God said, listen, no man can see it and live. He said, I'm going to put you in a rock, in a, in a, in a cleft, in a cut out of the rock and I'm going to put my hand over you and I'm going to walk by and when I get by, then I'm going to take my hand off and you can see my hinder parts. God said, that's as close as I can get you without taking you to heaven to live in my house. You see, that's God's ultimate goal for salvation is for us to be with Him and to behold His glory. This is what God does. In Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 11, it says that He sanctifies us, and because of His sanctification of us, He is not ashamed to call us brethren. I'll tell you, if there's one verse in the Bible that just gets me, it's that one. That Jesus Christ, God the Son, who suffered on the cross to pay the price for my sins, says, I want to identify with you as my brother. I want to identify you as members of my family. Having the same last name. I'll tell you what, that's glorification, is it not? And yet, there's a second part of this glorification thing. God wants to be glorified in our lives. Amen? Read Ephesians chapter 2. The reference isn't in your outline. <coughs> but that in the ages to come, He wants to show His glory. How? Through us. He wants us to bring glory to His name. It says, if any man speak, let him speak as of the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him minister as of the ability that God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, let your light so shine before men. Why? That they can see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. In Revelation chapter 4, it says... Thou hast, uh, it says that we'll take those crowns and cast them at his feet. 
Now, what are crowns? I'll tell you what, the glory of the king is his crown, is it not? I've never had the opportunity to see the crown jewels of England. Uh, I've talked to people that have, and they said, I've heard about them all my life. But to sit there and look through the case and see those things. He said, did something to me. Brother Clayton told me a story when he was there. And, of course, he looked at that and... and, uh, He said, I looked at that and he said, I just let out a big whoop. And the guard said, what's wrong with you, Yank? He said, listen, he said, where I'm going, they paid the streets with this stuff. They build it into the walls. And those are so special that no king, no queen has worn the crown jewels You know why? Because the entire English economy is built upon them. The the crown jewels are the Fort Knox of of, of the nation of England. Their economy is based on the value of those gems and the gold and the other things that are there. They're so glorified, they're so full of glory that humans can't even wear them. God says, listen, I'm going to give you crowns in heaven. You know what we're going to do with those crowns? We're not going to put them under lock and key so somebody can look at them. We're going to take those crowns that are worth more than anything you could imagine here on earth. And we're going to cast them before his throne. You know why? Because we're going to take glory and give it to God. That's what heaven's all about. But in order for us to have something to glorify God with... He's got to give us glory. He's got to glorify us so that we can have something to glorify Him. You see, that's why sanctification is so important. You don't put a crown on a dirty head. They don't allow you to handle precious gems with dirty fingers. Just go get your hands all dirty, go down to Chinatown and say, I want to look at diamonds and see what happens. (laughs) They're going to look at you and say, "Uh -uh. uh-uh. You know, if you're really serious about this, clean up and come back. Too many people, they they just wouldn't trust you. Uh, And the question is, should they? Probably not. And God doesn't want to trust us. With his glory, if we have dirty hands. That's what we've got to work on. Sanctification. Understanding what God has done for us. Propitiation. You see, it's all of God. So when he gives us that glory, we give it right back to him. You know, glory, God's glory is powerful. You read in the New Te- in the Old Testament. We're done here. I gotta. I could just go on all night. I don't want to. But read the stories where the glory of God appeared. A lot of times, when the glory of God appeared, a lot of people died because they were disobedient, and God showed His glory. And His glory, when it touched that disobedience, man, people just started dying like flies. Scary stuff. But if you'll get sanctified and understand what God has done in propitiation, you'll understand how precious, powerful, and dangerous that glory is. In fact, read Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. It's just another cross-reference popped into my head. What were they doing? They were trying to get glory to themselves. They got it said, no man durst join themselves unto them. Nobody was going to do what Ananias and Sapphira did. They tried to steal a little God's glory. They died for it. Right there on the spot. What we need to do is we need to ask God to give us some of that glory that we can give it back to Him.
Dangerous stuff. If you're not prepared, His glory will hurt you. That's why He says you've got to be sanctified. You've got to understand what propitiation is. And once you do, it's all of God. And so when He touches me with His glory that I may glorify Him, I'm sending it back His way. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, what incredible things you do, have done, will do to save a soul. And Lord, first prayer is that there wouldn't be one in this room that would leave here tonight without settling the issue of salvation. Lord, the publican prayed. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's not the words. It's what goes on in the heart. But if it's in the heart, it's going to come out the mouth. The Bible says, for every man, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, we just ask that you would work in hearts and lives. Lord, we pray for those that are here tonight and are saved. Lord, we struggle to live in this world. There's just so much. It just seems like we're wading through an open sewer at times. And yet, Lord, you put us here in this day and in this time. And we ask you that you would help us to be sanctified. That we may be glorified. That we may have something to give back to you for all that you've given to us. Lord, that you would just tap the hardness and the dullness of our minds. That we would contemplate all that propitiation actually is. All that you've done in atonement, redemption, and reconciliation, justification. Lord, in forgiveness, in sanctification that we may be glorified with you, that we may bring glory to your name in this life and in eternity to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just stand together for a moment. If you need this.